Hello, and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors' Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate, and inspire performers. To find out more, visit www.equityfoundation.org.au. Those that had come in were both, uh, my sister and the daughter, they are both uh, half Sri Lankan and half, um, I suppose, Caucasian, and they... It's interesting because I didn't, don't think we look the same, but then as we, when we kind of developed the show and stuff, we developed traits of our character and stuff that kind of connected us. So in terms of the son, like I have no idea what he will look like. Um, I do know for a fact that there are many talented, beautiful um, boys out there that have the heritage and have that ethnic heritage. So I'm interested to see what they look like. It's more of a thing of like age. So you know, as you know, in acting world, you can be 21 and play a 17-year-old, and that's the age of the character is about 17. But then you can also have a mature-looking 15-year-old that could play that age. So, yeah, no idea at all. Also don't know why he hasn't been on the show from the start. Initially, they were trying to cast him, but they couldn't. They said they couldn't find someone, so they ended up casting um, a girl, and she ended up playing another. So it was like an introduction of an extra character. Um, and then they've been looking for this whole time. So, I don't know, I, hopefully... Hopefully we get along and hopefully, um, hopefully, yeah, they enjoy being a part of our family too. Yeah. Um, so Neighbours obviously keeps you on your toes then. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It was, so Fletch has obviously had the, I would say, luxury of being on the show for ages. So he knows kind of how the system works. But um, for those that don't know, obviously there's like two shows in Australia that are kind of the same fast-paced running style as his show. And in terms of my background, I'd only had like a couple of little guesty roles on different shows. And um, for me, and it's, I have been outspoken about this as well, it was because um, I, I really think it's lack of diversity that I could never really audition for a full-time or a main or a lead role or anything like that. So I was trying to hustle and try to um, get whatever I could but a lot of the roles were stereotyped I've played a lawyer before I've played a doctor before and kind of stereotyped in in what they what at the time they would perceive an Indian person to look like and I just never really thought I'd have a space in Australia where I'd be able to work every day on a show and I'm just so grateful and lucky and proud that that's happened on this show um, and when, when it came around, it's obviously the role of a lifetime and you just like hope to God that you get it so that you can change, I suppose, the landscape of representation in Australia. But in terms of the getting onto the show, I had, didn't have the experience that, um, you know, other people potentially could have had. And it was just go, go, go from the start. Like I stand by the fact that I think our crew and our production are, are like the best probably in the world, if not Australia, and they make you feel comfortable. But there's nothing to take away from the fact that it is exhausting, to say the least, filming six apps a week, um, all out of order, obviously. Uh, so you have to be on all the time. It's a job that's all encompassing. So there's no real room for anything else other than that, because you have to be ready to come in at any, at a minute's notice. If something, if someone's sick or something happens or the scripts change or whatever, you just have to be on. Um, and, and like I said, we only get the schedules of the Thursday, Friday before. So you do spend probably a day on the weekend trying to learn it. And I remember at the start, I was just like, a puppy it's funny you talk about puppies because we just got one but basically I was working and then whenever I wasn't working I was napping so I could try to absorb the stuff and then I was working and I, um and, but then you get the hang of it after a while yeah it's fantastic of course because it trains the acting muscle in a way that a lot of shows don't get to do for most of us when uh, I mean I've done uh, my background's in the theatre 
So, you know, I'm, I was used to working on plays and rehearsing for four or five weeks at a time, slowly developing the story, the, play, the play as a beginning, middle and end. You develop your character in that context, et cetera, et cetera, and you work as an ensemble. So a completely different experience, that slow working. In Neighbours, much of, much, of much of the time, you're actually working on a story that has no end. You don't know where it's going to end up. Uh, and, and always, so you're living for that moment you're in at the moment, for the truth of that moment. But also you're, you have to... Uh, often prepare material, material and have it ready to go for a camera within just a few minutes um, at very, very short notice with a minimum of rehearsal. So it requires a, a different sort of language between performers to do that um, rather than necessarily the director always being the intermediary and, and allowing the actors to find their performance. The actors themselves often have to work with each other in a very ensemble way to make suggestions, to prompt each other, uh, to suggest things to the director to get a shorthand going. So literally, I mean, in many cases, scenes are given 15 minutes to shoot. And it's sometimes a little hard for people to get their head around the notion that um, we're shooting 120 minutes of drama a week. And about 30% of that, 30, sometimes 40, is shot on location, which is, of course is much slower. So we're kind of shooting a feature film a week um, where that might take six to eight weeks in normal, in normal speed. So that'll give you some sort of sense of where we're working from. It does mean, of course, that the crew and the actors become trained in a way that many other actors don't get the opportunity to do and many crew don't. And that's why, in fact, so many Australian actors have been successful overseas because US directors in particular uh, comment frequently about the fact that Australian actors arrive with incredible broad knowledge of the set, of everybody's job on it. And and also they, they uh, Australian actors have this wonderful ability to be able to work with each other to get and work with the crew to get the work done um, that is quite can be quite considered quite unique so that's why Neighbours in fact has been one of the great great training grounds for performers and crew. I love it this, this, is, this is wonderful knowledge thank you both. Um, so do you get a say in any of the storylines that happen in Neighbours? I would uh, like, and to add on to what Fletch said as well, yeah. that's exactly right. Like we, just to give you a bit of an insight of how it currently operates, um, we don't have any rehearsals. We don't have any rehearsals. When I first started, we had a day of um, blocking. So on Monday, but we'd be shooting on the same day as well. So it wasn't a dedicated time or process to um, figuring out if there's any issues in the scripts or storylines or whatever. But to answer your question on that, no, we don't get a say in the storylines at all. But we do get to tweak yeah, depending on the director, of course, as you might know, we have a rotation of different directors. So they all operate differently. And that's another thing you have to get used to very quickly is how different um, directors work. If they're open to making change, if you need to speak to them before you get on set, which is really hard because we don't get those times anymore. We used to have the Monday where we would go, okay, let's go through the scenes. And it was like five minutes or something for the scenes of the week. But we didn't talk about the work really. It was like, you're going to stand there. You're going to come in this way. And this is how it's going to be. But that was also really hard as well because um, people were getting called in and out of those rehearsals to actually shoot the show which meant it wasn't super beneficial for everyone because you'd get back on set and then you have to repeat all of that stuff again so it didn't work then we trialed this thing called read-throughs which a lot of productions do where we just sit around the table and and it's basically it's for the benefit um the writers, et cetera, to hear what it sounds like so that if there are any changes, they can make them. But like Fletch said, changes 
like you'd walk into set and the AD would give you changes for the scene that you're about to go on for. So you're sitting in the makeup chair, working it through, doing it, and you literally get on set with your own ideas. Um, and if you're, you know, you're a performer that takes the time to figure out what they're doing and knows their arc and all of that sort of stuff, you might have an idea in mind, but just like that, it can change with the director saying, well, no, this is actually where it's going. And you have to keep in mind that, yes, we are an ensemble cast. So it's not your story per se. Like there is a larger story that's to be told. And a lot of the stuff that we do as characters are playing into other people's storylines because we're so intertwined that way. So your motivation may not align with the story's motivation per se. So it's super difficult, super um, challenging, but yeah, you have to be on and you have to trust the process as well as your cast that are on set and the directors you know, to get the job done the best you can. But I know there'll be a lot of actors that are listening right now that, and I had this as well, um, where you've got a level of, I suppose, perfectionism and you're just like, oh my God, like, you know, I just want it to be great. And then, cause you've only got that 15 minutes to shoot and literally two takes. And that's just to get the words right. You don't even get that time to do it better or like try a different way. You just have to do it. And then you have to make peace with the fact that that's, that's the best you could do in that time with the material that be given, with the script you be given and in line with everything else and let it go. Because if you don't let it go, you'll do your head in and uh, just torture yourself about what you could have done better. From my experience with terms of storylines and things, because I've been around for so long and I, I come from in the, in the earlier days, in fact, we used to have a very, very cooperative relationship between the performers, the producers and the script department to the point where I would regularly send uh, emails to all departments suggesting storylines, many of which were picked up. And I have to say, sometimes they weren't picked up for my characters. They'd say, oh, that's actually a great storyline for another character. So, and I still, do, I still maintain that habit to, to today um, because they are often looking for like what they would call B or C storylines, nice little fillers, little moments of comedy that, uh, you know, the, the sort of stuff, in fact, the audience loves almost the most because it shows not just heavy drama, 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 drama. Someone's being shot, there's a siege, there's a murder, whatever. It's actually showing the, the lives of these people uh, and, and their little foibles and so forth and their characters. So there's that participation. And also in the process too, because of the lack of rehearsal, I've now found that the best thing for us to do is actually when you, once you, once you get your scripts, you go looking for all, all those lines that don't fit. All the wording of lines, are, it's clumsy, it's out of order. Uh, and then email, if they're bad enough, you might email the writer, uh, the script editor and the director and say, hey, listen, I really would like to change this. Uh, and then on the last layer, we do get briefed about our character's storylines in advance. That is to say, in the next six months, this arc is going to take place. And in that scenario, if we get a tremor that there might be something about that story that uh, doesn't ring true or we want to help finesse it, then there, we have the licence too to get in contact, particularly with our EP, Jason Herbison, who's a, a writer himself and loves to, to uh, work with us in improving the scripts. So there are lots of access points for the actors to get involved in the material they're working on. The, my favourite thing is on set. Um, most of the directors on our show have been with the show for quite a long period of time. And as a result, they are part of the ensemble, which can be quite unique. They're not auteurs, if you like, just pushing us around to make their pretty pictures. So 
often I find that I can actually make suggestions to directors about blocking um, that, that I feel might enhance the scene. Um, we can have discussions about where the, uh, where, 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 where's the, what's the point of the scene? You know, what are we trying to achieve out of this scene? If I, as an actor, feel like we're not actually hitting all the marks, all the real key points in the scene, then I'm free to talk to the director about that. And they're very, very open to it. Uh, and there's going to come a point where someone says, you know what, we just have to, have, we have to just go and get, go ahead now and shoot it the way it is. But, um, you know, it, the, the room to move is really quite extraordinary. That's why we have to shoot in a really shorthand way. So that once all that process has been lived through, we can actually get it on, on di we can digitise it super quick. It sounds brilliantly collaborative, I have to say. Mm. <laughs> um, so what's it like, do you think, for, for new cast members coming into the show? Um, in your experience, Alan, you would, yeah, you have the most experience with this, with this question, yeah. Yeah, it's terrifying. Um, <laughs> It's just, but it's terrifying in any show. I mean, I've been a performer for 42 years and any time I ever went into a new show, uh, particularly as a guest, you know when you, you called in, you, you got maybe one, two, three scenes, um, you don't know hardly anyone you're working with or the processes, you arrive and suddenly every, you notice that the first thing you notice is everybody is joking around and laughing. Um, it's, that's the process we have. Our energy is kept up by having a very, very lively um, boisterous set in a way you know there's lots of banter between crew and cast etc and for a newcomer that can be incredibly daunting um when i first started on neighbors in 94 even though i had a lot of work behind me a big body of work i was very very nervous because you just sort of think i, I feel you feel like a fish out of water the wonderful thing and everyone who's ever been a guest on our show has said this to me is that the way in which we operate as performers uh in the welcoming to the way we deal with, with new people is that as soon as you walk into our green room, you are made to feel uh, like one of the team. There's no sense of, oh, hello, that's nice. Nice to see you. Who are you playing? Oh, well, good luck. Um, you know, people, people who are involved in your story will come and talk to you. Uh, you, you can line your, you know, run your lines with people. You can talk through the character. There's an incredibly open and welcoming set. So. I think in most cases, people who come onto the show uh, settle in incredibly quickly. And you can see it in the performances too. Like the first couple of scenes, it might be a little bit tentative, but very, very quickly, newcomers who come onto Neighbours uh, just become part of, this, become part of that, that wonderful family furniture. Yeah, I would second that, but I have to, I really do have to say, um, though a big part of why people feel welcome at our workplace is Alan Fletcher, because... <laughs> Uh, it is, it is, because it doesn't matter though, Fletcher's been there for years, 25 years, but every single person that comes through, Fletch gives the same amount of energy, kindness and love and respect to that actor. And you would think that, you know, like after such a long period of time on a show, you might become a bit, I don't know, disenchanted or bitter or whatever it is, but it's definitely not the case. And energy like that, it encourages other energy from other actors as well. And so, yeah, you're right. We, you come in and it's as inclusive as possible. And, and, the, and I do think the crew is completely, is very boisterous as well, but I think it's also just to keep sane because it's just, you have to laugh if not anything else, because it, it is like, it is a stressful workplace because it does work very fast. And when we were talking before about um, storylines and scripts and stuff, we know our characters better than potentially the writers know our characters. And because there's so many people that they're writing for, 
things and at such a fast pace, which is the thing, little things will be missed and things like that. So it's not for any other reason other than the fact that we work so fast. Um, and that collaborative aspect of it, uh, it is it is encouraged, I suppose, but in a respectful way. Like when you're new on set, I didn't know that I could do that. I definitely didn't know when I first came, for instance, I was terrified. And so even if the workplace is kind and generous and you have people like Fletch and the crew and whatever, you're still scared. Because I remember the first day I went, I had to like pash a guy that I had, obviously my husband on the show, that I had, I had to show that I had a relationship for 20 years with this person that I didn't know from a bar of soap. I had didn't hadn't established the trust we had no time together beforehand we're literally on set and then it just had to be done and you're also trying to prove yourself you're trying to be like I, I'm worthy of being here I'm meant to be here this wasn't a fluke that you cast me and all those feelings and everything in those moments it's a lot so it, as encouraging as the environment is it just because by virtue of the machine and how it operates it, it can be really scary but mm. I wouldn't say that in a way disencourage anyone forever trying to be on the show audition to be on the show it's the best experience you'll have in your life and and it is hard I think it's a lot harder when guesties come on or you know dailies or whatever come on because you've got your couple of scenes that you just really want to prove yourself and do such a good job and you want to get along with everyone as well and you want people to like you because you want them to get ask you to come back as well and all of that sort of stuff um, and so there's all of that added extra pressure on top of actually doing the scene and doing good work and not even knowing who you're working with and how that process is going to work because every actor is different. Some actors like talking about the work, some get offended when you want to talk about it and it's like managing these relationships. It's a lot. Yeah, it's interesting to uh, just quickly chime in here because you mentioned, Sharon mentioned the kissing scene there. And of course, uh, so, uh, shows like ours are going to have a lot of intimacy, although obviously not in the COVID time. There is, in fact, no intimacy or touching on neighbours set at the moment. But the, um, the, the great development, I think, in our industry internationally has been the development of in intimacy coordination. So that now there are uh, people who study uh, to, to become intimacy coordinators. We have a number of them qualified in Australia now. And I, you, you will more frequently will see an intimacy coordinator credit on a film or television production. And that is where basically to take all of the risk and, um, and fear and uh, so forth out of intimate scenes, uh, the intimacy coordinator works with the performers and the director, almost like a fight choreographer, to say, this is what the expectation is going to be. We have co coordinated and choreographed how this scene will work and those are the boundaries in which we're working and that creates a much safer... People who have been through that process report to me that it's fabulous because it creates a safe environment and a creative environment where they feel much freer knowing exactly what's going to happen. The days of basically throwing two actors into a scene and go, guys, just, you know, you kiss and we'll tell you when to stop. Um, that's those days are gone mercifully I have to say which is really really cool yeah um, yeah I was just gonna say Fletch and that's that's actually happened in my lifetime on the show that's changed because at the start we didn't have that and it was up to each actor to kind of do the work to get to a point of place of trust but um now we do and you're right so so you know can you imagine if you were say a 16 year old and you're on the show and you've never kissed anyone before and then you're required to do that on set how horrifying that would be this is I feel like the intimacy stuff is one of the great things that has come out of a very shitty thing which is the me too movement and all of that um, where productions are becoming more and more aware of how 
important and, and, and integral this is to the work. So like Fletch said, it's literally even, it's a consent thing as well. So it's like you're with another actor, you're there, it's, it's um, very professional. There'll be the intimacy coordinator there saying, okay, now let's talk through what this scene could potentially require. Are you okay with me? Even And intimacy is not only just kissing, pashing, sex, all of that stuff. It's, it's even stuff like, can I touch you here? Um, is that okay if I touch you there? And I just think it's so great and so important to have that because as human beings, we come not just like this. We have a lot of stuff inside, a lot of baggage. There could be things that are triggering to us and our work should never make us feel unsafe. So if there's anything that we can introduce into a workplace that takes away fear and encourages safety, I'm all for it. And it has been working great. We've actually got um, a previous actor that used to be on the show that's left. And that's another thing about Neighbours is that we really look after each other in that actors that are no longer on the show can sometimes become director's attachments, can sometimes become directors. One of the previous um, characters, Kate Kendall, she's now a producer on the show. And so this other uh, actor is, has, is doing intimacy and coordination and training, and she's actually helping us and guiding us through it. So it's great. That's so awesome because I, I, I did do an equity workshop with um, the, an intimacy coordinator and just that one workshop was amazing. So I can't even imagine what it's like to be on set with working with an intimacy coordinator. It sounds, it sounds awesome. Um, I had another question for you guys about, um, well, since we're talking about COVID, what's it been like um, being the first show back to work? Um, and yeah, how's it changed for you? Well, from my point of view, the um, Neighbours is one of the first TV shows in the world. I believe it may have been the first to go back. And as a result, we drew interest from all around the world. Producers in New York and so forth, contacting our producers going, how have you done it? Have you got a handbook to send us? Because there literally was no handbook. There was nothing to tell uh, producers or directors what to do. So Neighbours wrote one from scratch, using government information, using expert assistance and so forth. And the result is that uh, we're, we're assured by the producers that the show itself doesn't, hasn't fundamentally changed in the way it's look and so forth. There's been a lot of script changes. We had to make massive alterations to scripts. Obviously, intimacy is removed and so forth. Distancing is a very, very important aspect of the show. All the obvious, sanitisation and so forth. Um, and the sanitisation and the use of PPE and, and so forth is actually quite... Uh, it's a very, very high level. Um, you can imagine a situation where if someone touches a doorknob, for instance, no one else must touch that doorknob. If you're given a drink... You can't drink, there's no drinking or eating on set. There's all sorts of things. But as performers, you work around that. As directors, you work around that. And the cameras are able to shoot people in such a way that um, it's not that noticeable. And I, I have to say, personally, I feel safer on the neighbour's set than I do in a lot of environmental uh, areas, like, you know, going to a shopping centre or, or such. And, and I have friends who are in workplaces who... Well, they're very upset because they're finding that their workplaces are not practising any kind of, you know, safety regimes that people are using communal kitchens and so forth. So, um, yeah, Neighbours have managed to do something that people are now starting to do, Home and Away's back. Uh, we are seeing other shows go back into production. It was just a question, really, of sitting down and saying, what are the sensible procedures to undertake to reduce risk 
to the absolute minimum and they've been very, very successful. Yeah, I second that. I think it was a scare. I mean, for everybody here listening, this pandemic, like this is unheard of. What we're going through is the word and it's so annoying everyone says this word, but unprecedented and it is in our lifetime. Um, and it was terrifying for everyone. And I'm going to be honest and say it was terrifying to go back to work as well when a lot of people didn't, weren't going back to work. But I, I, having, you know, the first couple of days, Fletch was off on um, leave at that time. So I was reporting back and letting him know how I was going. I was just so overwhelmed with gratitude as to how our production team and how the producers and how management at our workplace handled this. They took such great leadership. And I'll give you examples just so you know. Things like temperature checks on site. They mm. split the cast into two. This is common knowledge. So location and studio completely split. And the reason was, and you can imagine from a writer's perspective how difficult that is. Our writers worked in our holidays to, you know, change the scripts to us, not just being on the telephone, you know, but actually storylines changing so that we didn't have that interaction to minimise transmission. We have a dedicated safety supervisors on set at all times. So things like the door handles and doorknobs on set, as well as in the real life, in the real world, Jim, the guy that works, looks after us, he's just always watching. It's the same person has to open the door, close the door. We don't pass props to each other. I, I work in the cafe. I own and run Harold's Cafe. I can't give people coffee, coffees, but we've come up with cheats. So I make the coffee and then there's a sneaky one down there that they'll pick up as if it's their own because we're trying to make it look like, um, you know, the show that it was. And in that regard, uh, the producers and we, they all decided not to actually mention COVID per se in the storyline because um, for a lot of people, our show is a form of escapism and lightness and, and all of that. But in saying that, we've got touches of... Um, the the corona time in there we've got hand sanitizer in that we're using and we're basically relying on our viewer base and audience to come along the journey with us and one like you know you're always looking for like light moments and funny moments in life and one of them was has been because we can't have any extras on set at the moment we've got basically three people on set at each time maintaining that distance um we don't have extras so they've been using crew and like our receptionist and people that are already within the building to minimize it. And it's hilarious. Like just watching them act and you know, well, I'm going to say a lot of them act better than what we do. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a guy. They're so, they're so good. It's so funny. They sent us a little clip the other day to show it. And that sort of stuff just brings tears to my eyes because basically what it shows is that we all work together and we've all been so adaptable and, you know, giving stuff last minute, expected to turn up and, you know, do more than what was required just to keep the show going because we understand the importance of the show going to the arts community and Australia and we were very mindful of being the first going back, but also to be leaders in that regard because we wanted people to come back to work. We wanted productions to come back to work, but in a safe way. So we were almost the guinea pigs in that regard. And, and it was scary, but I really truly believe that um, we couldn't have done it better. Fingers crossed that like nothing happens. But yeah, at the moment, like if we all continue to do what we're doing, it's, it's looking fine. And we've seen what it actually looks like on screen. It doesn't look that bad. Um, yeah, it look it, it look it looks fine. Mm. Totally, it looks fantastic. It's uh, it, it's really interesting too. Of course, you know, I'm sure everyone knows who's worked on on a film or TV set that you know it, it's incredible what directors and camera people can do in terms of particularly like as you say the paucity of of extras, but 
by careful choosing of shots, you can actually fill you can fill frames with people with that, and you have only a very small number. So uh, there's a lot of very clever thinking going behind uh, half the stuff we do. I love it. You guys have such a talented bunch of cast and crew. It's it's incredible. Yeah, um, very lucky. Yeah, I'm loving it. Um, so there's a part of Neighbours that I've noticed. Um, there's like YouTube clips and a lot of social media now. Um, how's that been for for you guys? Well, Sharon, you you should you should start on this because you are very good at social media. <laughs> I would argue that you are very good at social media, Fletch. Um, and also, Fletch's uh, photography skills are incredible. Um, yeah, no, I mean, in terms of the time when I came, like, I have a love-hate relationship, like probably a lot of people with social media. I only really actively got involved when I was on the show because I felt like, um, well, first of all, people were reaching out and audience and stuff and they wanted to know. And I had to make that decision of, okay, well, I, I suppose I'm in the public life and how much do I show and how much don't I show? And I had to make my own personal decision for my family of like what I was going to put out, what I wasn't, but also wanted to endorse, encourage the work. And then for those of you that do follow me on social media, I'm a bit of an activist as well. So I really want to use the platform for good and to spread good work of equity per se, as well as um, other amazing causes and, and whatnot. So um, I struggled at the start with it because obviously it gives people access to you and it gives people access to give you their opinion, whether it's warranted or not, which can be harmful and hurtful if you don't regulate the way you take that in. And we, to be honest, we didn't get that training at the start, but it did change over the course of when I was there um, that we started having a social media policy and a bit of an induction where um, the team would talk to you about, look, this is what you this is what you might expect and it's interesting different platforms have different um vibes like i would say facebook is more vicious than instagram and twitter you know like they can at you and and then what do you do with that and they'll make personal comments about your appearance or whatever and i you know had a bit of racism stuff that when i first started on the show and that was really hard so they do, we have a team dedicated to social media now and it's been changing and improving, I would say, since the time mm. that I've been on. Um, they, are, they are understanding the importance of being um, visible on a platform. So they do ask us to do extra stuff like during the day, like can you film this thing or can you do this for the UK or whatever. And, of course, we happily oblige. But I, I would say that it's an, it's an evolving beast. Like, mm. yeah, it's an evolving beast. It, it, can I, I you know i think that there are room there's room for improvement but definitely think that it's the benefits outweigh the negatives yeah because being an ongoing show as well it's quite different from from standalone projects because the show evolves around the responses of the of the audience so the producers and the television stations the broadcasters are constantly researching the audience base to find out exactly what their expectations are, what they like, what they dislike, et cetera, so that the show can evolve with the audience. It's a highly interactive, and social media adds that extra layer of interaction. So, um, uh, you know, obviously we all used to get snail mail, fan mail letters, and uh, there used to be quite a lot of them, to be honest, on which you'd answer and sign an autograph and send back and, uh, and pen a few, a few words. But now it's like almost, almost all my interaction with my... My audience space is through video, 
uh, doing you know, videos for birthdays, weddings, parties, anything, you name it, that sort of thing, uh, which is great because it opens up an aspect also where in there where you can start using that notoriety for charity work um, and encouraging people to get involved in, in your charities or charities that you think are worthy. Um, but yes, and, and social media can add a pressure, but you know, there is no compulsion to do it on Neighbours. There are some performers who just choose not to do it. That they They're not interested in it. Um, so, you know, you can choose your own level of, of interaction. You can get advice on it. You get supplied with resources if you want to help promote the show. Um, it's a very, very important part of television film production now. There's no question about that. We have heard about the fact that, you know, I don't know, it's anecdotal, but when people are going, you know, for auditions and so forth and on in some projects, uh, they do actually look at a person's profile and number of followers as being perhaps a factor in casting. I have no proof of that, but you, know, you hear of these things from people, in, particularly in the United States. So I, I, I don't actively encourage people to, to sort of focus on social media because I think the important thing really is to focus on your career and development of your work and so forth. But if you ever do find yourself in a situation where you're in an ongoing show that is highly popular and has an audience right around the world, then it, it is you know, very much in the show's interest and probably your own too, to, uh, to think a little bit about you know, how, how you interact through social media. It can be a lot of fun too, I have to say. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people who get in contact with me are people who have had some difficulties in their lives. They might be uh, physical infirmity or so forth or mentally, mental um, issues as well. So you've got to be extremely delicate about how you interact with people. You, you, do, you try not to give advice, but you give encouragement and support. And mm. you know, people who are ex expressing that they suffer from anxiety and so forth, and you encourage them to, make, to, to talk to people about that and get help if they need it, etc. And, and that, so it's, it can be a little bit delicate as well. Uh, I think we've got a very important role to play in terms of interaction with our fans. I love that because Neighbours is, is a staple for many people in the lounge room. Like, we see you every day. It's really nice mm. to be able to, yeah, contact you and, and have chats like that. Yeah, well, um, the, big, the biggest feedback I get, just to finish off there, the biggest yeah. feedback I get is that people say to me, Neighbours is their, their 30 minutes of respite from the world and in this COVID age they're saying that even more yeah. because there, there was a time when neighbours went to two nights a week in the UK because they were they were fearful we'd run out of product and the audiences were so disappointed I was flooded with people going get neighbours back to five days we need neighbours uh, to get us through the day because you know if, they, if they're living a day in lockdown they need their, their little fix at the end of the day which is just absolutely awesome to be part of that process. Hi, Alan, Sharon. Thanks uh, very much for your time. Um, I was wondering if you could speak on the audition process and I mean, I'm going to be graduating next this year. And what does that look like for new grads and things coming out of COVID and such? Sharon might be best to talk about this because I last time I auditioned for Neighbours was in 1994. <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly, just fun fact with Fletch, he came on as a diff. A different character um, initially and they liked him so much they brought him back. It was a different character, wasn't it, Fletch? Yeah, I started as a mechanic and they didn't actually offer me a year contract, but I was working at the Melbourne Theatre Company at the time and doing Shakespeare and I said, well, you know, to be honest with you, I'd rather do the theatre, so thanks for the offer. Seven years mm -hmm. later, I auditioned for Dr Carl Kennedy and, uh, and uh, I'm very grateful I did because I think the, yeah. you know, the, the potential in that character was greater. 
so the good thing about our show is obviously it's long running. It's been going for 35 years, which means there's always going to be a need for characters. In terms of your COVID question, we still are getting guest characters in. Um, obviously, they're taking the precautions to make sure, um, you know, it's a safe safe for them to come in but um yeah we're definitely getting the regular regular casting of guest characters coming in um i want this to be as beneficial to you as if I, as if it was me graduating as you are and i suppose the advice i would give is like if you don't have an agent you need an agent um and you need to be very clear with your agent about your aspirations and what you want to do because there'll be regular briefs that go out for neighbors um going through and I think you need to keep on top of that communication with your agent, be like, what's coming out and um, do you know what's happening and I'd like to go up and whatever. And uh, when you audition for Neighbours, we've got Thea McLeod, who's a casting director. So sometimes you'll see she'll do every now and then. I think she does it with Tafta as well and I'm not recommending any school or anything like that. But um, I even went to a workshop with her over a weekend and the reason why I did it was strategic as well in the sense that I wanted her to see my face. Um, I didn't do a good performance, by the way, at that time because uh, there was some fat, like my auntie passed away, family issues, whatever, but she still remembered me. So um, if you can get yourself in front of a casting director, I recommend you do, but that doesn't have to be in person in one of these workshops. It's about sending self-tapes in as well they will remember you. So you may not be ready. Like I auditioned for Neighbours three or four times before I got this role. I remember one was for a detective and it was like a smaller role and I'm glad I didn't get that because potentially it could have affected my ability to get this role. But just keep auditioning whatever if you get asked to audition, audition, do as best job as you can do and just keep on it um, regularly. In terms of the actual audition process and what happened for me, um, again, a brief came out. I did a self-tape um, in a studio. So I, and I know um, Equity provide a space to do that as well, which is great. Like I, that wasn't happening when I w was doing it. Um, and that obviously saves money as well because that can be, expensive i understand to go and i think when i went in i paid 70 bucks to get in front of the blue wall and i had the benefit of that is that i had a reader who was an actor which i think is important when you do self-tapes as well not necessarily for them to get fully into character but for them to understand the nuance of the scene and stuff because that can affect your performance and throwing you off etc um and have a reader have good lighting make sure that the tape is the best that it can be and just please don't be disappointed if it doesn't work out. It doesn't mean anything. It They would have seen you and you just weren't right for that role. So keep doing yeah. it and keep going with it. And in terms of me, I did it over a tape. And then, um, like I said before earlier, uh, it was for a different role. And then they said, hey, can she put down some stuff um, on in this character and so I did that as well on a tape then they asked me to come in and I was living in Sydney at the time so they fly you down um, pay for your flight and um, you go in and depends on how you're being cast if you're part of a family it's going to be a number of auditions because there's chemistry tests I was lucky enough to be picked first so then they had other people matching me um, and that's another reason not to get disheartened as well because it's an overall aesthetic look and a bunch of different factors as you probably already know with acting and so I did about three rounds to get my role so I came in I did the self-tape I came in one time they saw me then they left it for a couple of weeks and that can also happen as well it doesn't mean they've forgotten about you or whatever it can mean that another storyline has been prioritized or something else is happening and then all of a sudden I got another call um, of like, yeah, they're flying you down and they're matching you up with other people. And then in terms of that audition, I'm just trying to give you as much information yeah, as possible so you, you know as much as you can. 
uh, I went into the room and it was at the Nunawading Studios. Um, and just so you, yeah, just so you know now, and I don't know how long this will be, <laughs> the waiting room is your car in the car park at the moment because you can't get in. But at that time, it was the reception. And I remember walking in. It was a very distinct most moment for me as a person of colour because I went in and there was like a bunch of brown women in the room and I was like so fucking happy. Excuse my French. I was so happy. I was like, I've never seen this before in my life. This is so great. And we made best friends and besties and that the process. But you'll find that there'll be like 10, 15 people in the room, um, which can be intimidating. And it's a long day. So like they'll go in, they'll come out with other people. They'll go in, they'll come out with other people. You can be there the whole day and it can be super exhausting. Just make sure you take a moment for yourself. Go out, do whatever you need to do. Get on your phone, whatever it is, um, and go through. And then in terms of the turnaround time from that, I found out three to four weeks after that. And then from that moment, they said I got the job. I started work four weeks after that. I was on the job. Yeah. Wow. And that, that, that's, that, that's luxury now because when, we, when the, I first started on the show, what generally happened was if they needed somebody, a new character, they would audition for that character on a Thursday. Um, this goes right back to the early days of TV in Australia. They would audition, so Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, you'd be told you, you had the job and you started on Monday. And most of the time, you'd be flying from Sydney to Melbourne or Melbourne to Sydney. And then your script would be delivered to you on the weekend and you fly down, start work, or fly down Sunday night, start work Monday morning. Um, because that, that was just kind of the, the way they, they speed they worked at. Now things have, have gone much more towards um, a, a much carefuler um, casting process, I suppose. Of course, back in those early days, there were quite a limited pool of actors to choose from. And you found, in fact, the same actors were turning up on shows all the time. The wonderful Deborah Lawrence, uh, currently doing Harry Potter or in the cast of Harry Potter, mm. who was on Home and Away for a spectacular number of years. Uh, she did 13 episodes of Cop Shop over six and a half years uh, as a different character every time. It was fantastic. But that's very much, we're on a different planet now. The one thing I would say about auditioning, because I've helped a number of performers, uh, young performers with um, self-tests recently, and I'm very interested in that process. And the one thing I, I, I find is that you need to sit down really seriously and look at scenes you're given and apply to them the same principles you would if you were doing a piece of theatre or you're doing a huge feature film. You need to look at the scene and, and think, what are, what are some of the choices in here? What are some of the possibilities? And work with the other performer to explore them. Because bearing in mind, they don't have to be right. You don't have to create a, a, a test where the director looks at it and goes, oh, there we go, that's perfect. I've got, I've got a, a finished product. What they're looking for is the connection you can make with the camera and the connection you can make with the person who's reading to you. And the same thing will apply when you get into the room. Many, many cases that what you do in the audition won't be what ends up on screen or what anyone expected to end up on screen. They're looking for connections. And the last big thing that Sharon pointed out, do any audition that comes your way. People do not forget you. Um, Jason Donovan, who, of course, was the, uh, um, you know, has now become very, very famous around the world in music, music theatre and, and music itself and, and acting. Jason auditioned for Neighbours, was rejected. And then a year later, Jan Russ um, remembered him and thought he was too young then for this role, but I think we should get him back. 
um, because he may have he may have reached a level of maturity which would be suitable, and it was, and history was made. Every audition has value, uh, and every audition should be given the same weight. You know, um, the first the first role on TV I ever auditioned for, I was 22 years old, and I auditioned for a 43 year old man who had three children with ulcers, and he had ulcers, and he was in the hospital um, for uh, young doctors. And I went in, I did the audition, and I got the role. And I came to set and I sort of said, so obviously, you know, you've made some changes, right, in terms of this. They said, yeah, yeah, yeah. They handed me the script. The script was identical, but the age of 43 had been crossed out and 25 had been written in. Everything else remained exactly the same. So, you know, it's a race. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, but, yeah, just audition as much as you can. And the last thing I would say is when I, when, again, when I started on Neighbours, it was quite common for graduates from drama schools to say, I don't want to do something like Neighbours. I don't want to do TV. I, I want to do theatre and so forth. That was a very much the, the thing. Um, that After about six months, those same performers were gagging to get a job on a TV show if they could because, you know, there's, there's, there's where most of the work is. And it will be one of your most valuable learning experiences will be working on a show like Neighbours if you, if you can do it. Can I just add to that and say, um, and I'll be more frank in how I say it, um, don't be up yourself. Like this job is so good because I, you get to work every day, use your mm. acting muscles, try to make stuff work. You know, there is a perception and reputation of soapies of being a, a certain kind of style, language, longing, looks and whatever. It's actually quite hard to master. It's actually quite hard to do. And it's actually quite hard to find truth and believability in the role. And that's your challenge. And that's what makes it so exciting is when you find little bits and things you can change or things you can do within nuance with it, that's the skill in itself. And it will serve you for the rest of your life. Just to add on, I know there's a lot of questions, but I'm quickly um, just on the audition thing. I feel like, and because I just went through this process in casting um, a guestie on the show and I was in the room with them. The two things I saw the casting directors really um, uh, take notice of, one, like Fletch said, be in the moment. So I know that's really hard because I know how daunting the audition process, I know how desperate you can be for the role and I know there's all a bunch of different things, but you got to, as soon as you get in the room, you got to let it go and you got to be, okay, this is here and what I'm doing because your ability to listen and be in the moment would, can be the deciding factor of who they choose. It doesn't matter if you forget your lines. It doesn't matter if you miss a one word. Try not to hang on to that because your ability to be in the moment and take direction because if you're listening, you can hear when they say, I need you to be a bit more sensitive in this moment. You can take it on and do it. Treat it as a fun acting exercise as opposed to a, like a full-on audition that's got so many states riding on it. And I know that's really easy for me to say and it's very hard to do, but they're the two things I really noticed um, that work well in the audition process. And be kind to yourself because we all forget lines. We all, you know, do, do things not how we thought. It's like some of the, my worst auditions got me booked for jobs. So, you know, it's so many different factors that, are, that form a part of it. Just be kind to yourself and try not to be too hard. Mm. Hi guys, how are you going? Um, my question is, um, and I think it's been answered, but I just want to clarify. So I just had, if you guys had any advice for actors that do get the opportunity to audition for Neighbours and was there anything in your audition that you did that helped you feel at ease towards the end of the audition process? Um, I think, well, I'll let Fletch answer this as well, but I feel like 
um, as an actor to protect yourself um, mentally because it's a very mentally challenging job and as you know there's high levels of depression and I, I do think it's connected to levels of rejection and things like that in this job I think you need to come up with your own process regardless of if you're auditioning for neighbors auditioning for anything for me that uh, my example of that is yes give your all in preparation to the job I try not to um, I try not to connect an outcome to what I'm doing. So therefore, if it works, then that's great. If it doesn't, that's fine. And I let go as soon as I finish the audition. I literally, I have a physical action of ripping up the scripts, burning and putting them away. I also don't tell people, I don't know if this helps other people, but I don't tell people um, as in family and my friends what I'm auditioning for because the thing I hated the most when I was an out-of-job actor was how did that go and have you heard and have you heard and what's going on? It's like killed me like... Because you just want to be like, yeah, I booked it and I liked it. And you, whatever it is, people don't understand. People on actors don't understand the process. It's so traumatising and full on when you don't get it. And people think it's a personal thing. It's not a personal thing. So, yeah, I would say in my process, that's what I did. What about you, Fletch? Well, uh, I, I auditioned for Jan Russ, who I knew because I'd already done a series for, for, for Grundy. So because I knew Jan and she was the reader and Jan was an actor, um, we were very relaxed situation so basically we played to could play off each other without me having a sense of oh my god i'm trying to impress someone i don't know mm -hmm. um but once again the, the, what, I, what i have learned from the self-testing thing is and i say this to everybody i assist doing them is think about what's happening for you when you're not speaking and um so often you'll see it when people start preparing their tests you can see that they'll say their line and then there's a kind of a sense of, of waiting comes over them for the next opportunity for them to speak. And even the, even this captain, even the best, best of actors, and it's in, in fact the engagement you have with the reader when they're talking to you and how that's landing on you that is absolutely fascinating for directors and producers to see. And... Um, also, of course, I'm, there's a big thing I find when I, when I first started on our show, and I worked with the incredible Jackie Woodburn, is that uh, traditionally a lot of actors, sometimes when they get into that soapy mode, they, they say it becomes line, 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 line. And the wonderful process that we can do if you start working with an actor who's simpatico with you, like Jackie, is that suddenly all these overlaps start happening. And we go looking for the word, the phrase, the moment, the look, something in what the other person's doing that triggers us to speak. And that may not be the end of the line. So it's kind of enjoying the work, embracing it and playing with it, but letting, letting things land on you in a way that affects you. Uh, you know, that's they say it's all about reaction, isn't it? Um, you know, acting is about reaction. And um, I, think, I think they're the most fascinating things to see in a test is a, a person who's waiting you know, and, and letting him get land. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Hi. Um, thanks, thanks, Alex. I just thank you, Sharon and Alan, for being the shining examples of why it is that fast turnaround television in Australia is the greatest privilege of your working life. It took me a hell of a long time to find myself in it, and I've had a recent and first experience of it, and it is everything that you say. Um, it, it's... It's, it's not just, it's not the learning, it's the pinnacle. It, it honestly is. It is a great privilege. You know, we come into this, 
this thing called acting to sort of, you know, shift people and to change hearts and turn minds over and uh, fast turnaround television, like, you know, we've been lucky enough to do and as Neighbours has been forever, is, is the vehicle for that. It's, it's amazing. Anyway, um, I just wanted to say to, to everybody that's here that um, things like Neighbours, it takes a while for them to find their own momentum, but they very often come into being because for a long time we've had um, uh, local content quotas and regulations that um, encourage and make it possible commercially for Australian television to be viable. And at the moment, the government is actually uh, re reviewing these regulations. And we're in a position right now where we have to be, um, we, ha we have to be sure that they're maintained and that they're strengthened and that they're meaningful, or a lot of our opportunity for work on screen is going to disappear. And um, Alex has got a, a little, little blurb and a link to uh, the union's uh, tool that is terribly easy for us to actually make personal submissions. I think about a hundred actors have done this so far, maybe more by now. And there's another week or so to go. I think it might be next Friday that the submissions close. So I just wanted everyone who is looking forward to a career in Australian television um, to, uh, to jump onto the MIA website to follow that link that Alex is gonna post and make your feelings known about, about your hopes for our, our industry. Thank yeah, you. well, well said, for, um, the, um, uh, for anyone who, uh, I was going to say before, if you want, if you're interested in, as an actor, it's very important to watch, uh, to watch work. And um, I just need to decline my wife's phone call, I'm sorry. Um, it's, very, it's very important to watch work and uh, watching Neighbours, watching Home and Away, but also watching The Heights, which I have to say, Fiona's show on the ABC was, I thought, absolutely superb. Um, Thank you. Uh, you know, so and and probably you know very interesting the, the interaction between the characters. I thought that was just wonderful. So you yeah, great point about Australian content. This fight for Australian content has been going back goes back right back into the goodness me the sixties when I you know when I started as an actor we spent so much of our time we had to go on strike to get some times to get Australian content. Um, we must defend it to the absolute hilt. And I know that we're running out of time. So I also wanted to mention to anyone who's on this hookup. If you are having any difficulties during this time of COVID, if you're struggling in any way, please remember that the benevolent trusts and benevolent funds that are in every state are there to help and they have funds to help as well. So uh, please do not hesitate to contact the benevolent funds if you, uh, if you need assistance in any way. Can I just really, I know, I just want to keep talking, but Fee, your work and what you've done for this country and your work is incredible. Thank you so much for being, you are an icon. Thank you so much. I want to say to everyone as well, um, we might, working in your, in your own country in Australia is an absolute privilege, an absolute privilege. And to be honest, it's unlikely that work's going to pick up in other countries. So you need to be involved in this stuff. We can't just stay silent. You probably hear us always harping on about this quota stuff and submitting to, you know, MPs and stuff like that. But we need to be involved because we have vested interest in this. We really do. So as active as we can be, we need to do it. Mm. And fight for our ABC as well. Uh, hello. Uh, thank you both for all that you're sharing. I find it's it's really inspiring. Um, Sharon, this is uh, specifically for you. Um, in talking about how you dealt with um, some of the negative um, energy around racism and um, diversity in approaching 
casting and things like that. Do you have any specific advice um, for those that are both in film and also on stage at the moment um, or going to be um, in how you would suggest uh, handling it? Yeah, I'm going to be completely honest with you. And hello, nice to see you. Um, <laughs> Good to see you. <laughs> um, is, is that, uh, do you know what? Um, I, it's not that I've stayed silent on a few things, but because I'm working and, and you know, it's, there's certain things that did happen when I was on the show, um, things that can be overlooked, things of ignorance, stuff within the script, stuff like that. I, like, picked my battles in what um, I wanted to take up to say hi people decision makers and things like that because I was always worried that I needed to be grateful to be working as a colored person and I needed to not cause offense or not make trouble or anything like that one positive side effect from the Black Lives Matter movement and the fact that that's all happening now and people are becoming more aware is that people have to listen like they have to listen so you know, whatever it is, they should, they should be doing that. I would suggest, and this is what I've done in my time as well, is talk to me, talk to other people in similar positions and bounce off ideas, bounce off how you're feeling. And then together we can come up with some sort of strategy on how to deal with it because you shouldn't have to suffer in this stuff alone. If you're like the one person on a show that's colored, you're, you're not going to find, you're going to find people are your allies, but they're not going to understand really what that is and what it means to say something and the stakes in you saying something to an employer or stuff like that. So I would suggest having conversations with us and I'm not trying to make a divide or anything, but having the conversation, because the more that we talk about it, the more we come aware about it. And also that uncomfortability that a lot of people are feeling, we feel it too. Like we don't necessarily want to be bringing up these things and saying stuff, but you, as, sh as shitty as it is, and maybe you didn't want to do this, but y you have to be a leader in that and have those conversations. And, you know, the union is a great place as well. I ring my organiser a lot of times and say, look, hey, this is happening. Um, what do you reckon? How should I deal with it? And we talk it through and sometimes we take it to the next level. You can have conversations through your agent when particular incidents and things have happened. Um, in terms of protecting yourself on social media and stuff like that, like I was saying before, a lot of people were telling me to go back home wherever the freak that is, <laughs> born in Australia, so whatever that is. And um, I did take it personally because in my whole life I'd never really endured any sort of racism and then I was on a show in a country where I've always felt welcome and loved and whatever and then people were just having an unconscious bias and weirdness towards me and it happened with you know different things like they wouldn't identify exactly why they didn't like you but they're just like there's something about her I don't like um so you can come a different way so I would suggest turning off comments if like practical things on, on that sort of stuff turning off comments sometimes I screenshot it and then I delete it so I put it in a yucky folder on my phone so it's there and so I remember when I need to bring it up if I need to bring it up but ask for help where you can it's shit there's no real answer to it it's it's really shit like when you're on the other side of it and I'm so sorry if you have experienced that um but ask ask for help like we're all here to help you and there's people that you can talk to mm -hmm. and I, I'll just quickly add to that too that you know the the, the world is changing and um it, it's uh, it, it's long overdue in many cases and it's the responsibility of of, of all performers to call out uh, racism and sexism where it's seen. And in, for so long in the past, people have got away with outrageous things, saying and doing outrageous things without them being called out by everybody. And 
we owe to ourselves, to each other as performers, to protect each other and to, to assist each other in protecting ourselves. So, um, you know, we, we need to be there for, for, for uh, people who are sub subject to racism um, as, much as, as much as the people who are the subject of it. Uh, it's, it's a, it has to be a, communal, a communal thing. Absolutely. Fletch has always been an ally, a strong ally, and um, the responsibility shouldn't always hang on the person of colour to say something. It's, it's really hard. Out, the position is different. Privilege is different. So I would encourage all people, um, everyone, everyone to stand up. If you stand up, other people might stand up. You might inspire other people to do it. But I understand that it can be uncomfortable in a group setting where it's your place of work, but just do it. Just do it. In fact, I'll quickly just jump in and mention that I, I, I have the privilege of being on the National Performance Committee um, and uh, representing you as performers. And, you know, in our very, very long, proud history in the union, there's been very, very few Indigenous performers who have been represented on that committee. And as of the last election, I believe there's now another four or five, Fiona might be able to help me with that, uh, Indigenous performers. And at the last National Performance Committee meeting, it changed the dynamic incredibly because suddenly we had people there who could actually genuinely explain why certain things were problematic for our indigenous performers that we we couldn't have known and that's how the world is changing is actually basically saying we're going to bring everybody into our decision making processes that's wonderful yeah thank you so much guys um Ah, time goes so fast. Sorry. I'm going to have to ask, I'm going to ask one final question to um, both of you, Alan and Sharon. Um, do you have, since you work Monday to Friday on, on Neighbours, do you have a weekend self-care hack for us? Oh, I, I walk. Um, I try and walk like 10Ks a day if I can. And I, I listen to music, listen to podcasts and just chill. Um, that's my relaxation. That's kind of brings me back into myself, and um, and yeah, just catching up with mates and and you know have interest any interests outside of performing are great. Uh, although I have to say, my guitar is my one of my other refuges. Writing songs or just noodling on the guitar, co contacting mates, watching football, you know, all the usual sorts of things to take you out of being a uh, being part of a machine. I'm going to introduce you to one of my beautiful. Well, we got him a couple of weeks ago because we realised we weren't going anywhere for the next year or whatever, um, and it's always been a dream of ours. But I would definitely say um, we don't. In terms of time, there's not much, so you have to continue doing stuff. I think not just for the weekend. I think you should do it every day. Self care is so important. Looking after your mental health is so important, and it's okay to ask for help, and it's okay to say no. I can't catch up with you today. No, I can't have this conversation. I'm not mm. going to pick up the phone. Get off social media. Get off your phone. For me, that's one thing that I have to do because I actually saw physical signs of anxiety if I was on it and, you know, trying to, um, you know, answer things or do whatever and just go, it's fine. Like if anything, and I know this is super cliche, but if I've learned anything from this pandemic is, is what's important to you and what serves you and what makes you feel good is exactly the things you should do. For me, what makes me feel good is community service. So like I, um, 
I started a podcast when we were shut down um, called We Are The Real Ones where I talk to other, I, I basically amplify voices that I feel like um, don't always get the opportunity in current media and the current climate to talk about their stuff and generally that people of colour or adversity or things like that. And that makes me feel really good. So identify what it is for you. Like, I mean, Fletch walks 10Ks a day, which is absolutely crazy. Well, I don't even know how you even do that. Um, but if it's exercise, if it's dancing, if it's singing, if it's connecting with people, I recommend doing at least one of those things a day. Make time for it. Make time for yourself. Love it. Thank you so much, guys. And I'm just going to plug um, Sharon's little uh, fur baby. He's Bosco the Blue on Instagram. So I'm, I'm on so just go follow. <laughs> I wasn't going to do it on Instagram, but then I really didn't think I was going to be that fur mama, but I'm exactly that fur mama. And I've just, my whole <laughs> camera roll was full of pictures of him. And all I do is talk about him. I could have spoke for an hour about it. But I just want to say really lastly to everyone is thank you so much again for spending your weekend and an hour of your weekend with us as well and working around our ridiculous work, work schedule to be here. If you do, I know there wasn't enough time for questions and stuff, but if you do have anything you want to specifically ask me, hit me up on Instagram. I will answer you over the weekend at some point. This is another thing I do. I give myself one hour on a weekend and I answer everyone back in that one hour. So I'm not constantly on my phone. That's another little tip. But yeah, feel free to ask me. I'm always available to you as is Fletch, as is um, Equity. Yeah, I'd just like to concur with that. I'm, I, you can email me uh, through my website, um, alanfletcher.net. There's just a contact email there. I, I prefer the emails. I, I miss so many messages on Instagram and stuff like that. I, I can't do that one very well. But an email, I'm always very happy to respond if you've got any uh, questions. Particularly if you're going to audition for Neighbours. You want, if, you, if you want to ask me a question about, about something, I'd be happy to answer it. Oh, yeah, yeah. hitting you up. <laughs> Media Super is the principal sponsor of the Equity Foundation. For more information about the work of the foundation, visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow Australian Actors' Equity on Facebook and Twitter.